parents often get a bad rap. Okay. Mm-hmm. As coaches, as people on the outside, we're dealing with people's most valued asset in their world, their children. Thanks for coming back for another episode of Pelham Place. I am Jay Pelham. For those of you here for the first time, please be sure to subscribe wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. By now, the show's available everywhere that matters. You can also check it out at pelhamplace.com. Also, you can interact with me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook by searching for Pelham Place Show, or you can email me at pelhamplaceshow at gmail.com. This episode is one that I've been looking forward to for a long time. I met uh, Dr. Brett McCabe 10 years or so ago after his mom, Mary Jo McCabe, had been a regular guest on the morning radio show that I produced back in New Orleans. I went on to produce a syndicated radio show called The Psychic and the Doc, featuring Mary Jo, the psychic, and Brett, the doc. Soon after that is when Dr. Brett started his private practice, The Mind Side, where he consults athletes, coaches, and business leaders to help break free from their patterns of struggle and create winning solutions on their playing field and in their businesses. Dr. Brett is the author of the book, The Mind Side Manifesto, The Urgency to Create a Competitive Mindset, as well as the Game Plan Workbook. He also hosts the Secrets to Winning podcast and can be found speaking and presenting on stages, boardrooms, and locker rooms across the globe. You can find Dr. Brett at his website, www.themindside.com, to find out more about his practice. But listen in as we talk about podcasting, Brett's college days as a player for LSU baseball, entering the corporate world, and making the transition out of it as a clinical psychologist. And then we get into some things that are relevant to all of us today, the secrets to success that we can all use in life, youth sports and parenting a child who plays youth sports, and how to get back up after being knocked down in life during a crisis like the coronavirus pandemic. Thanks for tuning in. Sit back, stay safe, and enjoy this conversation with Dr. Brett McCabe. Hey, man. What's up? Not too much. How are you? I am good. So what's been going on, man? And just working, just working, just working, just working. Um, you know, I uh, I didn't realize that when you ended the Mindside podcast that you kept the same feed mm-hmm. for the secrets to winning podcast. Mm-hmm. We just renamed and so, it. So I, I made the mistake of unsubscribing <laughs> and it took me a while to catch all. Like I would see you post about the podcast. I'm like, wait a minute. I, yeah. Why, why do I not see any of these episodes and then realize that I hadn't that I unsubscribed to it when you did yep. that last Mindside show. Yeah. And, and what we did was the, the, the background of it, um, that kind of, uh, you know, w- w- all we did is we renamed it and we, we kind of go back and forth about what we want to do with the podcast. We're probably going to move into a little different role with it right now. Um, instead of it being weekly, we're just, because I found that people weekly just, you know, people are, we're so conditioned by Netflix that we do mass downloads. Yep. People get in the car, you know, and so we're going to, you know, transition a little bit. We actually met about it yesterday and just, you know, I'm doing this thing called the catalyst school, which is for people who are, um, you know, really, uh, um, 
want to be coaches, want to coach a little bit better, want to focus on what they need to do type of stuff. And, and so I'm bringing in experts to speak to them. And so, you know, the, the point that I want to do with them is use them and then highlight, highlight that information, I guess you could say on um, the podcast three to six months later, but allow my, my uh, catalyst people, I mean, it's 20 bucks a month. So, um, but it's, it's allowing them to come on there a little bit and having, giving them the, the premier experience first. Um, because what we're naturally doing, to be honest with you is I record somebody, it's two or three months before I roll them with them anyways, you know, unless it's something super timely, um, you know, that, that allows me to, to play with it a little bit longer, I guess you could say. I can't wait to get to that point. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not going to say that I don't trust Libsyn. We use Libsyn. I don't trust their download rates at all, Mm -hmm. but we know that the background aspect of it, people listen to it and they listen to a lot more, you know, people will call in and and people I've never known to listen or they'll, you know, I'll get a whole bunch of people responding to one podcast and it's not like, Oh, I saw you did a podcast with X. No, it's like they know specifics of the podcast. So I don't even, I, I have no interest in monetizing it. One is you can't monetize them unless you get so many people. Um, right. And I just am happy to have people want to listen. I mean, yeah, it, you know, it's funny. You were talking about the, uh, the listening practices and, you know, for me, I was always, uh, listen to, I would always listen when I was commuting. Yep. Um, that was the only time I listened to a podcast since I've been home from work during the coronavirus, it's been completely different. I'm still listening to podcasts, but I'm not listening to the stuff that I would listen to when yep. I was going to work. Um, you know, now I'm actually listening to, to more entertainment mm-hmm. type podcasts than, you know, if I was going to work, I'd be listening to, you know, one of the Dave Ramsey podcasts or Gary V or something yep. like that. And I just kind of find myself like, uh, maybe, maybe it's time for me to take a break from that because w- I know what they're talking about right now is probably not what what I really need to hear. Well, you know, and what I found was people switch to video casts a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And when you look at having things like, you know, uh, Alexa home or, you know, the, the, the Microsoft play, people are going to watch the video cast too. So what we did is we started realizing that people are going to consume in a lot of different ways and there's no predictability of how people are going to consume. And yep. we just pushed information out and I'd use it just more for my personal desire and ex, you know, wanting to, be, be with somebody who's got something interesting that wants to say. And that's how I've looked at it. And, and I think it works. I mean, I think that process, if, if the podcast comes from what makes me interested, I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what pushed me. I mean, well, you know, I mean, we've known each other for a few years and yep. I've always wanted to, wanted to do something um, in the podcast realm. I mean, I've always sort of been on the yeah. on the backside of, of other shows and, and things. And, uh, this kind of gave me the, the extra time to just, to just do it. Um, yeah. you know, I didn't, I didn't jump in with any, you know, any real goal or, or even focus on a certain topic. I really just felt like we're all sharing a very similar experience right now. 100%. And so I've got, all these people on my social media page that I know in some way or another, but don't really communicate other than commenting back and forth on Facebook. So I thought, yep. you know, what, what better idea than just to start doing some zoom calls with these people? I mean, yeah. 
you know, I know, I know filmmakers, I know pro- music producers and engineers, you know, I, I know clinical psychologists. Yep. Um, it's, you know, how cool would it be to just have these, these conversations? And, yep. and you've probably seen too, very few people um, really don't have a problem. I mean, you probably have never really had an issue with somebody saying, I can't do it. Most people will be like, hell yeah, let's do it. I mean, and that's what I found with the podcast is people will, or the video cast, people will, you know, they'll be like, sure, let's do it. I, you know, I'm good. Let's rock. And it's so funny because, you know, people have, they have so much of an opportunity and we have so much of an opportunity to, to communicate and to collaborate and to connect that once we start doing that, then it just grows. So so let's get into a little bit. Let's, let's tell, sure. tell people who you are. Um, yeah. Obviously, Dr. Brett McCabe, uh, licensed clinical psychologist uh, with your PhD from uh, LSU yep. uh, back in our home turf. Um, you're on the baseball team at LSU. Uh, two national championship teams. Two. Mm-hmm. And three college World Series teams, right? Yep. Yeah, it was a pretty good time. I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, I look back at, at that and I think, God, I can't believe it, how long ago it was, but really even more than that, how phenomenal of a time it was. I mean, that's the crazy thing about going through that time is it happened so fast when I was going through it. It was like, oh, come on, this is going to end. You know, it's if I could just get through the pain of not having to go to practice and all that other stuff. And then all of a sudden it was like, it's gone. And now it's been 25 freaking years. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Time, time flies, man. Um, you know, being on the uh, on the LSU baseball team and uh, knowing that you were you were a psychology student, mm-hmm. what was the dream when you were in college? Was, was the dream wasn't was, to be a psychologist? I can tell you that much. <laughs> I mean, not even close. Um, you know, the dream for me was you know I wanted to play. I wanted to play a lot, and I wanted to figure out how to play. I was going to go. I was a business major. I was going to go to law school. I wanted to. Yeah, I didn't know what I wanted. I mean, honestly, I had no clue what I wanted to do. I was more one of those people that was just taking classes and moving through the process. It wasn't until my fourth year, I was a five-year player. So it wasn't until my fourth year that I got in a situation where I was like, you know, I am really needing to figure this out. And once I figured figured it out, and I, I know that sounds like such a crazy thing to say, but I had to face my my own demons, you could say. I had to face my own struggles I had to face the crap that I was dealing with, which really for me was, and, and Jay, I mean this in, in all the right sincerity in the world was, I did everything right. If you told me to work hard, I worked hard. If you told me to show up early, I showed up early. If you showed me to stay late, if you told me to stay late, I stayed late, but I still didn't succeed. And I find that a lot of people fall into that path of like, you know, I'm doing everything right. I'm, I'm doing what people are telling me to do and I still suck, right? And that's how I felt. I felt like I still sucked. And that was so frustrating to me because- as a player, the the challenge that I had was I needed to find a different angle. And what the angle was, was really tapping into the facets of my mindset and the belief that I had in myself to overcome and to keep pushing regardless of what was happening. I had to almost get angry. I almost had to get so focused, like driven to the point of, I had to almost hate you as an opponent. And once I understood the psychology side of things, and once I started developing that that's when I switched my major. I didn't switch my major to psychology until I was a senior in college. Um, and uh-huh. so I was a non-traditional psych student. I hated psych. I, I didn't like, 
Um, the only class I ever took in psych as an undergrad, I hated. I didn't, not until I changed my major and realized, okay, maybe I'm mature enough to understand this stuff that I really got into it. Um, and then I fell in love with it. And, and then I was like, look, I want to be better. I want to, I want to get better. I want to be a better student. I want to be a better steward of the game. I want to understand what I'm doing. Um, and, and once I did that, I was, I was actually pretty successful. Um, and then psychology came easy, but shoot, going through undergrad, I know I wanted to have a great time. I wanted to have a party. I wanted to, I wanted to celebrate. I wanted to compete and, and I really didn't want to work that hard. So when you came out of college, you went straight into the corporate world. Well, when I finished playing ball, I had a semester. So what happened was I, I remember when I changed my major to psychology, I had no idea what it involved. We had a friend of ours, of our family, who was a psychologist and, and she had gone to LSU and she had said, listen, this is what she, you know, it's a great degree. It's what you need to do. It opens up the doors in a lot of areas of life. And I was like, okay, I went and met with my academic counselor in baseball. We had, you know, you have somebody who watches, make sure you're doing all the right things. And I sat down with Mary and Mary said, Brett, listen, do you realize how hard it is to get into grad school? I was like, no, I mean, you just go and apply and you get in. Right. She's like, no, she said, most of the time the academic centers don't want you to go where you went to undergrad. They, they feel like it's kind of a poisoning of the water. And I said, well, I'm a late bloomer and my wife's going to be starting nursing school. We're from Baton Rouge. We don't have any really interested moving. And she said, well, you got a really long shot ahead. And, and even worse, your GPA is like a two eight. And she said, you got to understand the, the department of psychology, the clinical program gets about 350 applications that make it through the cut. And then they pick about 10. So, you, and they're selecting people from all over the country. So you've got to really be in a position of, of an advantage. Well, that fired me up for school. So I raised my GPA in the last two years to a three, three, which was about the best I could do unless I just took a bunch of classes. Um, and, and then I, I worked on the GRE, which is the graduate admissions exam. And then what I did is I got some experience working with some professors after I was done playing. Um, cause I had a semester left. I had a, I had a semester of school left, um, before I graduated after I was done playing. And, and I spent my time getting to know professors and I made a connection with a professor who was a huge baseball fan, but he was really, he was doing some research in sleep medicine, which not a lot of people come in for that. And I was, I thought it was interesting. So I entered under, I was fortunate enough to enter under him and earned his trust. And then while I was in grad school, I moved to a different professor, but um, you know, it was really, I was fortunate enough when I finished my internship. So psychologists do four or five years on the ground then you do a one-year internship, which is a 12-month, like a medical residency. Um, mm -hmm. When I finished that, I went into the corporate setting. So that was in 2002, 2003 timeframe. I moved into corporate, and I stayed in the corporate setting until 2010, um, working for pharmaceutical research, doing development, education, strategy, development, and all the, and all the like. And that's about the same time that, that you and I met. I think uh, yep. you were just, just making that transition uh, into a private practice. And uh, yep. obviously we, we did some work together on a syndicated radio show for a yep. while. Um, yep. What uh, shout out to the psychic in the doc. Absolutely. <laughs> Bring it on, man. <laughs> so what was, what was the turning point uh, from moving, transitioning from the corporate world into your own practice? You know, it, there was a couple things that happened when I was in the pharmaceutical world. I, I was not happy. I mean, I, I was happy for the first four or five years. And then in, in, in the job that I had was incredible. The boss that I had was just phenomenal. Okay. 
the problem is when you're in the pharmaceutical industry, you're only as good as the product you work on. And every product has a life cycle. And it's not like working in the electronics industry or whatever, where they just come out with a new model. That new model takes eight to 10 years to come out with, you know, and there's a lot of research and there's a lot of need. And, and you're also dealing with, with generic competition. It was just a really tough environment. And so I kind of saw the handwriting on the wall and, and, and I was fortunate enough having been a business major before I was a psychology major, um, um, you know, before, while I was really struggling with everything that's going on, um, I wanted to figure out a way to apply different mindsets to the way that we executed our business. And that was really unique. And my boss allowed me to do that. And we developed a program within the pharmaceutical industry and within our job that helped us in that perspective. And we rolled that out and it became a very, very successful program. So while I was working with some individual clients on the side that was completely above board and, and allowed, um, that allowed me to take my material and start applying it in different settings, which really, I think, gave me the confidence to say, you know what, I can do this on my own. Um, and, and I think it's... Uh, um, I think it's important that we continue to, to find our ways. I, I think I was stuck in the idea of, um, you know, I think it, it's, I think it's so important when, when you're unhappy with where you want to go, we start reminiscing with this idea of, look, I'm going to be up on that hill soon and it's going to happen. It's going to be so easy. And the truth of the matter is it's not, um, you know, I, and I, I think it's really my lesson was I had to be patient. I had to just work my ass off. And then what happened was I started having more and more clients. And I, I told my wife, I said, look, I want to leave the, the industry I'm in. And I want to go out on my own. And, and her answer was like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, you make this unbelievable amount of money. Um, um, you know, I think it's, I can't remember what I was making at the time, but it was really good. And she said, look, we have a daughter who's going to college in four years. And we don't really have a full active um uh, you know, college plan. And I said, well, we'll figure it out. And she said, well, you have to replace your salary 100%. And I said, yeah, I know, but what is it? And she, and I thought it was like after taxes. Well, she actually figured it out before taxes, 401k, I, you know, pension plan, everything, all the side benefits. And she said, you gotta, you gotta replace that. Well, I couldn't just take my job, leave and then go try to replace it. I had to sit back and, and take a step back and say, okay, what, what am I going to do? And I just hustled. I mean, I did as much work as I could and I, and I made as many contacts. And in one month in February, in a, a month of February, I actually exceeded my salary. And I thought that was it. I was like, there it is. Boom. I got it. And then she says, we well, got to do it again because some of that's not repeatable. So I finally, after I demonstrated to her that I could do it and I could get a plan in place, I started working hard on, developing that. And, and, and I was fortunate enough to go to my own and that pharmaceutical program I worked on was able to be picked up by a couple companies. And that allowed me to make the transition, which I don't even do that anymore. Um, I only work with athletes now, but um, I think, I think for a lot of people who were in the position I was in, what allowed that to happen was sitting back, sitting down, just trying to figure out um, what it was that I wanted. And then being patient to realize that you can do more than what the hours are in the week. You, you, you have to do the, the unpopular. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I think, uh, you know, one of the big things I've learned over time is, is when you can work on your passion, it makes doing 
that work easier. And, and yeah, you know, I think obviously it's, it's, it's obvious that sports is a, a big passion for you. Um, so it's seems like a really a natural fit. Um, and now you've got the mind side, uh, your, yep. your private practice, um, private practice. and you, yep. you work with, uh, all levels of athletes, amateurs, mm-hmm. professionals, collegiate, um, athletes and coaches, right. And business coaches and co and co- business leaders and coaches. And, and I, you know, the, the cool thing about me is knowing that I'm a little ADD, knowing that I don't really stay in one spectrum really long grass doesn't grow under my feet very long. Um, having a lot of different application spots is important to me. Um, and, and, you know, the way I look at it is competitors are competitors. Okay. Where they compete is where we define their nature of competition. Meaning, mm-hmm. well, if they're a golfer, we call them a golfer. If they play football, we call them a football player. If they are an account, if they do accounting, we call them an accountant, but what it takes to succeed is very similar across each of those different levels. And so what I try to do and, and what I try to work on in that setting is, helping people find what their success spark is, what their pattern of success is, what their formula is, how they think, how they function, how they train and how they execute, and then rebuild those patterns daily. And I think that's the important, um, important thing that we do. And, and sometimes it takes wisdom, you know, look when, you know, years and years ago before we had social media that told us, told us how good everything is and how bad everything is at the same time, you know, you would see, seek out people who had been there, who had walked the walk before, and you would you'd pick them. They'd pick their mind as much as you could. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's you know what I want us to do is to have our own wisdom. With the, you know, you meant you mentioned golfers being golfers, and you know, baseball players being baseball players. Um, what similarities do you see? Um, in athletes across the board, no matter what sport they're playing, no matter what level of sports, uh, or, or no matter what level they're playing at, what similarities do you see in the athletes that you work with? And is the quote unquote fix always the same? That's a great question. I, I think, okay, we know that success leaves clues, right? But I'm going to tell you what the greatest secret to success is, is do the little things better than everybody else. It doesn't matter what the shiny, sexy thing is. Most people don't do the little things right. You know, if, if you're working in a job and, and you're waiting for the big sale, you know, I, I see this a lot with like financial people that I work with. You know, it's like, I don't understand why my accounts aren't bigger. Well, it's like, if you don't make X number of calls a day, you can't win the formula game, right? So you have to be prepared and you have to have a strategy of what you're doing. And most people don't have strategies. We just take things for granted. And the best athletes, the best competitors, Yes, they're super talented, but they're so good at the little things. They're so good at the small things that, you know, it's, it's critical for them to be in that position of, of believing in themselves to accommodate and overcome. If we're always swinging for the fences, we don't really believe we're that good. But if we every day show up and start building that confidence bank and we manage what we're doing, um, we can be really successful. That's a great answer. I, I never really thought about it that way. Um, you know, it, it really is. It's it's the little details. It's the uh, it's the gradual increase in productivity. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, think about it from businesses that you've been around or people. I mean, let, let's use somebody like a you know, let's use somebody in the entrepreneurship world, like a Gary Vaynerchuk, right? 
you know, Gary, what is it that he does that's so much better than anybody else has tried to come out before? It's not like he's got some savvy look to him. It's not like he's been, you know, he's, he's not flying around on private jets and showcasing the rims on his Rolls Royce. What he's doing is he's hustling on the little things. He's unbelievably consistent and yep. he's unbelievably high delivery of the most simple things. Film it, document it, send it. Work, hustle, meet, go. There's nothing fancy about it. But the fact is that the vast majority of us don't want to do that. I went to a, a conference about two years ago. It was a Grant Cardone conference. And if you're in the business world and you listen to this, Grant Cardone is a sales trainer and he's, he's brilliant at what he does. And he knows how to build the masses of followers. My wife and I went to his conference that he had in um, Vegas and there were great speakers and it was, we learned a lot. But I was, I told my wife in the middle of it, I said, you know, the Mandalay Bay theater was packed. Okay. It was completely sold out. And he comes in with the flash and the bang and, and what he should do. And I said, this is the greatest business model I've ever seen because there's 12,000 people here and 99.9% .9 of them will never change their behavior and they'll all come back next year. You know, he didn't say anything in that meeting. He didn't have any speaker that gave some life changing advice other than, you know, do the shit you're doing better. And, and what happens is most of us see that and then we get frustrated because it doesn't happen fast enough. You yeah, know? that makes we sense. Give up. It, yeah. It, it, yeah. That's the one thing I love about, uh, about Gary Vee is it's just, he's consistent. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what platform you're on. He's going to be there. Yep. Um, and and he's usually the first to it uh, from a from a business standpoint. I mean, well, but he's also not going to allow he's not going to allow the need to be perfect to also um, or the need to have ideal um, preclude him from finishing. He's exactly. just going to get it out there. Yep, yep, makes a lot of sense. Um, real quick, I, I do want to change gears, mm -hmm. uh, but I have one other question uh, going back to athletes, and that is. Um, what advice do you give to the younger athletes? Uh, and and I'll, we'll do this as two parts. The athletes that are playing youth sports and, you know, maybe middle school, high school sports. And what advice do you give to the parents who have to raise their kids in that environment? And, uh, you know, the term helicopter parent comes to mind. Mm -hmm. Um, I've seen it. I mean, my son's not an athlete. I wasn't a big athlete in, uh, in my youth, but I have seen it. I've been around parents who can be a little much at games and in that world mm -hmm. and have higher expectations than what maybe they should have at that level. Um, what's your take on that? Mm. Here's, here's my thought. Parents often get a bad rap, okay? Mm -hmm. As coaches, as people on the outside, we're dealing with people's most valued asset in their world, their children. And today we have access as parents to whatever amount of information that we need at our fingertips. But what we also have is we have a skewed understanding of what success is because the standards of excellence have shifted from people in our community to now worldwide examples. So it used to be we knew what somebody in our community did and, and maybe a couple and we'd say, oh, that's a good standard. Now we get on social media and Instagram and Twitter and we can look across the world and say, oh, this kid who is my son's age can throw at 100 miles an hour. 
and my kid throws at 78. What's wrong with my kid? Well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go find them some strength coaches. I'm going to find them some people that are going to do training. I'm going to find people that are going to teach better mechanics, and I expect to see the difference. Well, that doesn't exactly always work. But for parents, because the game has such a financial and emotional investment associated with it, what happens is we expect to see a more immediate return on our investment. And parents sometimes forget that the developmental age and the developmental timelines of kids is different. So for somebody like me who didn't mature until I was a senior in high school, I was an extremely late bloomer. And in today's game, I'd be lost. I'd be, I would be overlooked. Okay. Um, you know, and I think it's, it's one of those things that we look at and we say, what is it that parents are doing wrong? Well, they're loving their kids to death. So we need to put some realistic expectations. And ultimately, believe it or not, I think that falls back on coaches and administrators of leagues to not put a wall up between parents, but to say, here's what I expect of you. And you may not realize what your behavior does. I know what your intentions are. You mean well. And, but I was, I was meeting with a high school coach, a set of high school coaches one, one year in a part of Birmingham that has a very, very affluent nature. And we were talking about some stuff and I said, you know, it's, it's interesting because I said, your parents seem to be a problem according to y'all. I'm like, oh, hundred percent. And I said, but all of your parents are uber successful, right? Yeah. They want success for their kids, right? Yeah. You're just another barrier in their road. They've gotten successful because they've known, known how to navigate and overcome barriers in their professional road to date. You're nothing, they're better at it than you are. So we don't empower our coaches. We don't train them. And a lot of times our administration of our schools don't back our coaches because they don't want to have the negative connotation, the negative feedback, the negative reputation from parents. And so what we have to do, and I train all my coaches on how to have a conversation with your parents that puts relevant boundaries and guidelines in place to help build the plan that we're trying to do. And, and it does seem to work. Wow. It, it, that makes a lot of sense. I could, I could follow that up with uh, quite a few more questions, but we'll leave it there um, because I do want to get to this last question. Uh, going back to uh, the podcast, uh, the Secrets mm-hmm. to Winning podcast, and, uh, and how relevant one episode <laughs> that you recorded last year um, is for people today. Um, and so last year you interviewed, uh, a man named Eric Zimmer, um, who is the prime definition of a person who's been to rock bottom and back. Mm -hmm. Uh, he came out of a greater, he, he came out of that situation, a greater person after going through homelessness, addiction, jail sentences. And now here we are in 2020, the year of coronavirus, murder hornets, continued racial tension in the country, and a controversial election year. Many people during these last few months may already feel like they've hit rock bottom. Um, What do you tell someone who's hit a rough patch uh, that may, in your eyes or my eyes, not necessarily be rock bottom, but how do they begin to pick things up and rebuild from whatever that rock bottom is for them? I normally tell people that we're not victims, but coronavirus, we are a victim. Mm-hmm. Okay. We, we did nothing wrong. And we had this thing that came in and completely paralyzed our economy and, and destroyed our economic growth that we had had. Um, I think for years, we're going to study the psychological response to this. Um, 
I think two massive factors that have come out of this that I think we really need to look at is why on social media or in the journalistic world, there's not a credibility ranking or an accuracy rating of our journalists. Um, people write it, we assume it's true. And then we look at who they work for and whether we want to believe them or not. And that's terrible. We should be able to look at our journalists and say, you know, 98% of their articles are hundred percent factual. Okay. I like that. So I can look through the bias. Everybody's got bias. Um, it's impossible to be unbiased. Um, and same with epidemiologists who made very large scale decisions based on limited data that had a paralyzing effect. Okay. That being said, what I've tried to get people to understand from a symbology standpoint is that the, this is the year of 2020. Let's think about those letters, those numbers for a minute. Hindsight is 2020. We need to look back at things that we've been doing in our world that aren't right. And this is the year that we need to really change the way we're doing so that our future vision of 2020 changes to what we're doing. We are not, we all can take on the stress of the world around us, but what we need to focus on is what we do in our world. Okay. We need to be aware, take an uh, inventory of us and realize what can I do as bad as 2020 has been. And as much of an economic disruption as this has been, as well as some of the physical, and then you got the racial unrest and you've got um, some other things that are just really shocking is that we're in a world of being hyper primed for drama and trauma and, and devastation. And we got to get back to focusing and saying, you know what, as I look around me, you know, yes, I lost two thirds of my business in coronavirus. Yes. You know, there's been some scary things that have happened. Yes, there's been this and that. But at the same time, I'm still here. And I still have the opportunity to build where I'm at by changing my perspective. The world is not going to destroy me. And if we all collectively focus on the things that we can do to better our world, if we can all focus on being better freaking humans to others. And it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican, an independent, a libertarian. It doesn't matter. If we all treat each other with respect and respect and have conversations with others, we can differ without thinking that we have to be canceled. Um, and I think it's the same thing with, you know, life in general. In life in general, we're still kicking, okay? 2020 is another one of those experiences where the next thing is the scary thing, not the current thing. You know, and that's why the coronavirus data is so damning for people is it's, oh my God, what's it going to be tomorrow? It's, you know, there's a lot of reasons from a medical and epidemiological reason as to why the data is scary. Um, there's a reason why the media doesn't report deaths anymore. The media is not, does not care about what you think. The media cares if you click on their link. They could care less if they are doing a good job. They care how many people are coming to their, their sites. That's all they care about. So they're not reporting on the fact that medication, um, you know, it's, it's, it's important that we focus on what we're doing and realizing what we can control. And a good buddy of mine, John Gordon, who's a big writer in the sport, in the, in the wellness business setting, he and, um, you know, he and, he and one of his co-authors, a guy by the name of Damon West, Damon has got another story like Eric Zimmer was in uh, jail for seven years, was actually sentenced to life in Dallas for being a burglar. He was, he was a drug addict, but when he got in jail, a man said, is like, look, your circumstances can define you. Okay. But you can also change your circumstances and your impact on that. He said, you know, the same water that boils harden an egg and it'll soften a carrot, but it can also make coffee out of a coffee bean, be a coffee bean. I think it's one of the most brilliant lessons for what we have today. We can walk around and be hardened by, as an egg or soft and weakened that people are going to get us, or we can change other people. And I think that, that, that idea is so brilliant. And, and just taking it day by day, I, you know, I love that concept of uh, 
just gradual increase in whatever it is you're working on. Um, it actually goes back to something that I learned from you when you and I first met. It was uh, what you were teaching at the time was the one percent principle. Yep. yep. And you know that was that was something that has always stuck with me. And I think it's a it's something that everybody can learn from. Is is all you need to do is one percent more than what you did yesterday. Yep. Um, Let's look at it a little will, bit differently. Exactly. You know that's the thing, right? I look at you know I look at success and people who are having success. I've never met somebody who goes, "I made it." because they always have to stay there. Yeah. They always have to work a little harder. And so what we do is we, we drowned ourselves in fear, doubt, insecurity, worry, all the other BS. Listen, you want to get better? Just make the shit around you just a little bit better. I mean, literally that's it. Now, most of us don't have the patience for that. We want an immediate return. We want to be able to go to a button and hit the, we want to get the entire season of Ozark in one click of a mouse, right? Um, but the reality of the fact is success requires that level of trust and it requires that level of, of sticking with it. And it, it requires that of, let me just keep building the small momentums where I'm at. You know, you, you know, I've, I've, I've noticed something on social media this week. There's, they're posting a lot more videos of cops playing basketball and football in the communities. Well, you know what? That's, that's what it's going to take. Okay. It's going to take a lot of time to build up trust. Um, it's going to take a lot of time to build up the, the, the emotional bank accounts of people um, and, and the credibility and the, the, the credit reports, right? And that's what it's going to take. And, you know, we want, everybody wants things to fix. You know, it's so funny. Our economy was at such a brilliant spot, okay? And, and I don't fall anywhere politically, but people were making a lot of money, right? But there's still a large portion of our world that's not making any money and it's really struggling. And so, you know, why is that? Well, if we look at a lot of individuals, they feel powerless over the communities that they're in. They feel powerless over that. But here's what, here's the biggest change that happened, in my opinion. Somewhere about 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you know, our shift in, in the vast majority of our parents shifted. The, the generations that raised all of us backgrounds, okay, different backgrounds, parents tended to do a lot of sacrifice in order for their kids to have a better life than they did. Somewhere along the line, parents decided that they needed to have as good of a life as their kids and their kids would fend for themselves. Like, I got to get mine. And we lost our focus. And so as a result, what's happening is we have parents who are driving around and, and, and doing things and making short-term decisions that are impacting our kids and assuming our kids will find their way through it. Um, and, and if you look back to the generation that came out of, you know, the, the World War II generation, it's across all ethnicities. I've studied this there was such a world of, I want to make the world a better place for my kids. The generation we have now is I want to make a gener. I want the world to be better for me, not for my kids. They'll have to figure it out. That's where we've lost. You got to make, we got to get back to making sure it's like, look, I'm going to train my kids, educate my kids, test my kids so that they want more than I have. And they'll work harder than me. And I'm very fortunate. My 23 year old is on her own. She's hundred percent paying herself. She's got an apartment in Atlanta and she works more hours than we do. She owns her own business at 23. She has her own digital media business. And she moved to Atlanta. She got her own apartment. She pays her whole rent. She's, she's taking care of herself. Now, where there is a safety drop, but she works till 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. She gets up at 7, 30 in the morning. She works. She hustles. And that's what we were trained on because I watched my parents do it. My parents watched, mainly my, my dad's parents did it. 
and, and that's how it was. My dad's dad had a fourth grade education as a carpenter. He busted his ass. Both of his kids got master's degrees. And then it was important for my, for my dad, for me to always maximize what I could do educationally. My kid, my daughter, my 23 year old, she has a master's degree. So I want them to, to always hustle and fight for what they can accomplish, but I want them to have a better life than me. Uh, I don't need to have it over them. They, I want them to have more than me. Absolutely. And, and yeah, you're right. I think, I think we all need to think that way right now. Um, because there's a lot of kids, uh, that are, that are coming into very, very uncertain times. And, uh, yeah, they, they are the, the generation that's going to yeah fix this. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think, and I think the way we fix this too, in the generation that fixes this, you know, I, I really think the the ways of the past needed to change. Okay, the separation that we use for power needs to change. But millimeters under our skin, we're all the same. And I see some greatness in this generation who sees that in a much better way than any of our predecessors ever did. Okay, and what I see by that is this is going to be a, you get after it, you create it, you get it mentality. Okay. Everybody in this world has a smartphone. Well, it has a camera strong enough for you to document anything you need. Okay. You don't have to have a 5,000 square, you know, a dollar camera and you don't have to have people that are following your, you can do it on your phone and you can be, if your message resonates and you can hustle, you can get it done. Absolutely. Well, for anybody listening uh, at this point, be sure to check out Brett at themindside.com. Yep. Uh, he also has a book available, The Mindside Manifesto, uh, The Urgency to Create a Competitive Mindset. And uh, also, a, a, do you still have the workbook, uh, the game plan? Uh, it's all there. Workbook. Yep, they're all there. Perfect. Perfect. You can also find uh, his podcast, The Secrets to Winning podcast, uh, at the site. And uh, obviously, if you're ever in the need of uh, any sort of uh, coaching services, give... Uh, Dr. Brett, Please do. a call. Please do. It was great Thank talking you. to you. Hopefully, uh, hopefully here pretty soon. We'll be seeing some sports on TV. I hear baseball might be ramping up next month. Yep, and golf is going on right now, which is good. And hopefully we'll get some college football and professional football. I think that'll awesome. unify the country. I'm looking forward to it. Brett, it was great talking to you today, good man. Good to talk to you, my friend. Long time, no talk. Hope to do it again. I know we could probably do three or four episodes on different topics. So uh, we'll definitely talk down the road. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much. There you have it. Be sure to follow Dr. Brett at themindside.com. From there, you can find all of his social media links as well as links to his books and podcast. Also, please subscribe to the podcast wherever podcasts are available and be sure to email me feedback or suggestions to pelhamplaceshow at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening and be safe.